A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, World Game Changers, wherever you are today. And a very warm welcome to this podcast episode where today I'm joined by my namesake, Peter Lowe. Pete, a very warm welcome to you again, sir. And to you as well, Paul, on this really beautiful Sunday here in over in the UK. It's absolutely stunning weather. Mm, I like to hear that because in a matter of a few days, uh, I will be returning to my native UK. First time in 18 months. And well, and I know it's a cliche, Pete, but about how time flies, maybe for some of you listeners, time hasn't flown over the last 18 months. But I just find it incredible to think that the last time I was in the UK, I mean, 18 <coughs> months ago, it literally seems, and I know it's a cliche, 18 seconds ago. It really, I mean, where does time go? Yeah, uh, I completely accept that. I think you're spot on, Paul. It, um it just flies, there's no question about it. Um, but let's be honest, it's almost like we've been in a, a time warp for the last 18 months, hasn't it? All of us, the entire world's been in a bit of a time warp. Mm. One that we've never lived through before, and it's, it's changed how uh, we've thought and we've lived in the last 18 months and probably going to do so for some considerable more time yet. Um, and I think it makes you appreciate life a bit more, Paul. Mm. And what's also interesting about this, uh, listeners, obviously, in the previous three episodes, we've been reviewing Pete's book, The Language of Winning, and we've dealt with a few chapters. And today, the chapter I want to start on, which is quite ironic, Pete, in what we've just spoke about, your chapter is called, one of the chapters, The Cycle of Change. And that's very appropriate, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's something that... Um, Early on in my football career, Paul, you know, working with um, often in clubs where there's consistent change, and what I mean by that, managers come in, managers go out, chairman come in, chairman go out, boards change here, there and everywhere, your staff um, uh, lists change and this, that and the other. And there always has to be an adaptability. But I started to realise it was bigger than that. What I mean by that is this. Every business to some degree, will go through a cycle, uh, go through changes. And sometimes those changes are forced upon people because of world environments like now, for example. Oftentimes, they're not forced upon you, and sometimes places don't evolve and therefore go backwards. So the cycle for change for them becomes negative, if that makes any sense. And oftentimes, places because they're not evolving, there is almost a slow stagnation, not a quick one. But what's happening with your competitors around you is they're all overtaking you. Mm. And mm. before you've started to realise that they're now walking very quickly, actually they've now started to jog and you're still walking. And um, before you try to catch them up, they're in the clouds, Paul, they've gone. Yeah, yeah. Because... I don't think it's oversimplistic to say, listeners, that, you know, we get that wrapped up in our own world. We really do. And I know fear has a massive part to play in, in our lives, in the game itself, whether we're talking about the game of football, 
the game of life. We've said before, and I know Pete and I agree massively on this, the two are very, very, very much hand in hand. They walk alongside each other. The game of life, the game of football. Uh, and I'm not really overqualified to speak in other sports, but I dare say that the same principle applies in, in other sports too. But that's not my background. I, I can't, you know, I can't pass comment on that to a great degree. If you push me, I would say, yeah, I dare say that whether it's cricket, rugby, whatever, the principle still holds true. Uh, but I, I, you know, I bow to superior uh, knowledge and experience in those respective sports. So bringing this back, this cycle of change, isn't the truth of the matter that, you know, we can stay in our comfort zone or we can stay paralysed by fear. But the reality is, whether we like it or not, change is inevitable and life marches on and it invites us to march with it. And if for whatever reason we become paralysed by fear or prefer the comfort zone or however you want to term it, it kind of leaves us behind a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely brilliantly brought in, Paul, to be honest with you. You know, there's no question about that. And it was the great um, ex-president, John F. Kennedy, who said, change is the law of life and those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future. Mm. And, you know, he was absolutely correct in that. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson always said that he saw it as his responsibility to continue evolving. He looked for every single thing um, to give them an edge over anybody. Um, I, and I've heard quite a few people say that, but I've only seen a few actually do it. Mm. You know, and I worked in an environment with a, with a group of staff that was led by a leader who did always seek that, if you like, 1% marginal gain on everybody else. You know, Paul, cycle change is, is all, it's, it's basically knowing exactly where your organisation is at any one time and it's in its progress chart, if you like. Because as you've just perfectly said, progress waits for no organisation, no man, no matter how big or small or how successful it's been in the past. And I use a phrase in the book and I say you have to proact to react. You can't just be reactive. You've got to be proactive. In other words, you have to be proactive to know on what you have to react upon. And it, that, it's that proaction and your ultimate reaction that creates a new vision for you for that next improvement and that next process of innovation. Yeah. And, you know, as, as the kind of progress of an organ, you know, part of the organisational culture, you know, as you say, continuous improvement, great philosophy, but one, do we understand what that means in real practical terms? And two, if we do, are we really committed to it? Because in a former life, Pete, I used to write CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Policies, and there was a lot of buzzwords and a lot of hype flying around, fancy words on paper. But when it actually comes to organisations doing it, like you said, quite rightly, whether this is an individual thing or an organisational thing, to me, the parallel is the same. Very, very few people actually commit to it. It's like, I've got it down on paper. It looks good. It looks good on the website. That's enough. But it's not enough, is it? No, no, it's not, Paul. And the reason why some people don't commit to it is because, excuse the phrase, it's too damn hard. Mm. It's just too hard to do it. But what people need to look at is that achieving success and maintaining it are two very, very different things. 
just because you've achieved success, that's essentially like saying that I've said to you in previous podcasts, talent takes you through the door into the room, but it never keeps you in the room. And just because you achieve success, it doesn't keep you in the room of achievers because maintaining it requires a different plan now. And it requires you to step up to a different plate. And that plate you're stepping up to is one which is greater in terms of effort than you've already given it to step to actually achieve success. You know, success and maintaining, they're only ever on long pole and the rent for their use has to be paid through great personal drive. It's paid through innovation and it's paid with enormous energy and expenditure. And more than anything, a collective will on a bunch of people who are called a team to achieve. Mm. And if those things aren't present, then it's just not going to happen. Now, this is where you find out who your naysayers really are. And what I mean by that is that you ones that don't want to work any harder. <clears throat> you ones who are very much happy with what they've got. You know, I, I was asked, what's, what do you do with those naysayers? Well, this is a tough thing I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. You don't let them stay in the room with you, Paul. Mm-hmm. They have to be shown a different door, and that's a, it's a one-way door, that one. So, as I always say, naysayers need, need not apply for the job. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that, you know. So, it's really tough, that what I've just said. I know it is, but... Maintaining success is a sight harder than achieving it. So what's your thoughts then, Pete, on, say, somebody that's not an out-and-out naysayer, but kind, you know, has has realised that as the organisational culture is changing, is evolving, is growing, that they can't quite keep that pace. As a, you know, dare I say, as a frontline player, but, you know, they still might have something to add. You know, not necessarily, you know as a first team player anymore because the, you know, the teams, you know, now got promoted to the premier league and the dynamics have changed and they're up against more skillful, faster, fitter opponents, uh, playing a little bit of devil's advocate there listeners, but okay, this is not really for me, but I've still got something to add to the club and I'm not an out and out naysayer, but I can't run as fast as these leaders want me to. Is there a place for those people still? Yeah, something that you have to work out, that is, there's no question about that. You know, I'm going to kind of lighten it this a little bit to say a very influential player who's played in your big team for a long time, okay? But physicality is catching him up with a tad, a tad, if you like, in the sense that uh, younger players are now adapting to the modernisms of the modern environment better than he has been able to do so, and he no longer has the same influence in the game scenario, But, and this is a big but, he may have an influence around the environment. Mm. He may have an influence on younger mindsets. He may be be able to impart upon those mindsets tremendous knowledge, fantastic experience, and be able to use it in a different way, but no less appropriate. Mm. And so the role you have to consider there is that does this knowledge, this experience have a role to play and is it too dangerous to remove it? Now, often it is. The other question you have to ask, of course, is this. Even though he knows he's no longer a first-team player anymore, using the analogy, if you like, the metaphor, 
does he have a, a, a role to play, but will he have to upskill himself a tad to be able to do that? And the question that's now has to be asked is, can he upskill himself? And equally, the next question I would say is this, Paul, does the environment have the knowledge and the experience to be able to show him how to up, uh, to upskill himself a little bit and to make it known to him that his role is quite vital because of the experiences that he holds and the knowledge that he's gained over the years. And that, that knowledge and that experience can play a very significant role in stepping others up to the plate. I think what I'm saying is never be too quick to remove experience and knowledge because it takes a long time to get experience and knowledge. And inside those two words, there may be a, an incredible line of achieving success. Mm. Why look? And the other consideration in that context, of course, is um, by removing said player, what dynamic and knock-on effect will that have? Because if that particular player in life or in football, um, it was inverted commas, popular, respected, senior, to take them out of the equation might have a, a, a knock-on effect to other people and they will judge that that was harsh, that shouldn't have been done. You know, people that may or may not understand the biggest strategic plan of advancement for the organisation, they won't be privy to that. They'll be thinking with their emotions, well, he was my best mate, he was my roommate on matches. Now they're kicking him out of the club. That's not right. And so this, this is the bigger picture to consider in life as in the game itself, Pete, isn't there? Definitely, definitely. In any meeting room, in any, any place of work, anywhere in the world, relationships are formed, they're created. Some of those relationships are built in tablets of stone. Some of those relationships to people sitting next to them in a workroom or whatever that might be, become significantly important. They play often a role in the success that others have within that meeting room, if you like, that place of work. And a changing room is no different to that. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes others get hurt by the fact that their mates are getting hurt, if that makes any sense. Mm. And that really does have to be taken into account. It's okay when people turn around and say, well, hold on a minute, it's got no place here anymore, whatever that might be. That may well be the case, you know, Paul, but it has to be dealt with um, shall we say appropriately with some sympathy without sympathy becoming a side issue that prevents anything else from being seen because that's a very fine line there um, and what I mean by that is that um, you don't want people to keep seeking sympathy and saying look I'm really sorry what's happened to such and such there has to be a point where it has to be let go of and I think we both know that yeah. Because things have to start progressing again. Otherwise, you're living in an environment where, excuse the, the phrase I'm going to use, the crudism, but people start whinging, moaning and belly aching about the things that have gone on. That's a sign of weakness, ultimately. Mm. Um, that just can't, that can't be allowed. Change happens. And I said this the other day on um, a Zoom call with somebody, um, and it's quite significant, this is that change does create opportunity, Paul. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's not seen at the beginning because change creates also black clouds that, um, shall we say, appear and um, 
and cover the sunlight in front of people's eyes. But behind the clouds, there is opportunity. So whenever change is going to occur, the sellers of change, the creators of change, if you like, and the people who have to sell the change, they really need to think about how they're going to sell that change. Because if you spend time at the front end selling it properly and selling it along the lines that this does create opportunities in the following way, at the front of the line, the work done there helps at the back of the line because you're not spending time at the back of the line always chasing your tail on something you should have done at the front of the line, if that makes any sense to you. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. I think that's very significant, that. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the, uh, the next chapter in the book then, Pete, the language of winning. How about the power of the changing room? Now, that's an interesting title of a chapter. Uh, I, I just, well, I, I have to say, knowing that, that's effectively, it's talking about knowing your people, Paul. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is that in, in, any, in any place of work anywhere in the world, um, in meeting rooms or shop floors or whatever that might be, there is a power in that meeting room. There is a power in that shop floor, in that boardroom, and it's a power of collective mindsets. Now, that power can either be negative or it can be really positive. But the one thing I learned very, very quickly was because um, groups of players that I would work with season in, season out would always change. I realized if I didn't spend time at the front end of the season, getting to understand those people who sat in that room, I was missing uh, on what I called was going to become my chip in the big game. In other words, knowledge. Because the more I knew about those players, the more, the more curious I was about them. Some people would say that's nosy. No, I think nosy has been nosy. I think curious has been intelligent. Mm. <laughs> I'm chuckling here to myself because I think that's smart, actually. Um, mm. And I do, genuinely. I think that's savvy. And the more curious you know or you are about your people, the more you get to know who they actually are. Yeah. So. Yeah. What you can't expect, Paul, ever, is somebody to come into work and leave their personal problems behind. Because I'll ask you this question that you can reflect on. Are you capable of doing that, Paul? I think we're all capable of it. Um, there's, you know, it's like, it's a discipline. I think, you know, to varying degrees, we can all be extremely disciplined if we choose and the key word here is do i choose it because the natural default of human nature is you know i'm going to get in touch with me so if i feel under the weather today yes i can kind of wear a mask to a certain degree but the big question is do i really want to wear that mask for the sake of so so-called professionalism and from my experience and this is a very generic answer pete to your question the vast majority of humans are under the banner of, I feel rubbish today. And by the way, I'm going to let the world know I feel rubbish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the thing is, you see, Paul, what happens is when people are under pressure from other parts of their life, there is an emotional response with them. Yeah. So if you know a person really well, you will know, bosses should know all, as much as they can do about who is in their team. Yeah, I've said this before, and I said it in the last podcast. It's not possible for a man who's the chief exec or a woman who's the chief exec of a business, whether of 5,000 employees to no 5,000 employees. 
But who they will know are their immediate people that are very close to them. And who they will know who are the people that are in their teams. And the team leaders of their teams will know who are, they are responsible for in their small sections. And so this line of curiosity, what I'm saying, Paul, doesn't just finish, start at the top and finish at the top. It goes all the way down the line. I always used to encourage my players to know their teammates. I've just finished working, as I said, prior to this call with a young goalkeeper, young professional goalkeeper. And he's going out on loan in, as part of his development process to a new club this year for a season. And one thing we've just talked about is the one thing we started to talk about when he took up his apprenticeship over two years ago was that his first responsibility was to get to know the people who sit in the changing room with him on a daily basis. Everything about them. Be curious. Know everything about them. <clears throat> so when they turn up one day feeling under pressure in their personal life, you'll be able to have an empathy with that you'll be able to understand how difficult it might be for that person to replicate a standard that day that he ordinarily or she ordinarily finds it with consummate ease every previous day. I think that's called the chip in the big game. And I think that is so, so important. And it was Benjamin Franklin, Paul, who said the following, an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. Love now, that. if it was good enough for Benjamin Franklin, it was certainly good enough for me. Mm. And from my college days in Cardiff, at Cardiff College, we had um, a, a college lecturer, Sid Aaron, who was known all the way throughout this country in the world of gymnastics and trampolining. And he said, knowledge is power in the bank of life. And I never forgot that. I've never forgot that. All those years ago, I've never forgot that. And I think that's quite a significant phrase. Mm, interesting. Knowledge is power. I'm just thinking what, what, what my mind's kind of dancing with there, Pete, is, yeah, knowledge is power. Experience is everything. Oh, and some, Paul. I mean, you know, when you're responsible for a group, uh, you know, an employment list of people or a team, it doesn't matter what environment you're in. It makes no difference at all. It's about creating a team environment mm. because the, the ability of a group of people who are joined at the hip to work together more uh, effectively is, such, is so much stronger than any one person ever working on their own who's loaded with talent. It's so, so much better. And so it's about building great bonds and finding a way to do that. You know, I'm, I'm literally looking at a line in my book here that I've forgotten I've written, and excuse me, just saying it like this, but there's um, a past U.S. Defense, a Secretary of Defense who also used to be a U.S. Marine, James Mattis, and he said, if a Marine or unit is screwing up, hub them more. That's profound. Mm. That's very profound because it's about winning hearts and minds and creating leaders from followers. And we talked about that in, the, in previous podcasts, that it's not just about having followers. Everybody has the capacity to be a leader, no matter how small. That small bit of their leadership might be the reason why you become a winning environment. 
And then the, in the next environment, when you want to maintain that success of being a winner, the ability of three followers to become leaders, no matter how small, might be the reason why you're now maintaining success. And so it's about winning hearts and minds and creating leaders from followers and understanding what the dangers are in the weight of expectation. Because if you have an expectancy on people who are going through a bit of a lull in their efficiency and you don't know why, then I think that's false expectancy. I would always look for the reasons why so I could change and influence those things that are actually affecting that person. Mm. fascinating this is absolutely fascinating listeners i don't know what your thoughts are around this but i mean I, i'm just immersed in it. i love this kind of stuff you know maybe it is because of that parallel that's been already been alluded to on more than one occasion around that very strong parallel not just a parallel but between you know the game of life and the game of football that uh, or soccer as our american cousins call it you know, very, very, very strong parallel. So for me personally, this kind of, you know, these insights, these philosophies, these experiences, I, I could be immersed in them all day long because I think there's so much rich picking there. Pete, thank you very much for sharing these latest two chapters. We've got one more to go. Um, episode, obviously, five of five, where I believe we'll be talking around... Uh, Managing obstacles to success and move to improve, brackets marginal gains. So that you know that's another time, another place, the next episode. But for now, Pete, I want to thank you immensely for sharing your insights, sharing your experience, sharing your passion. Thank you very much indeed, Pete. You're always welcome, Paul. Lovely to speak to you. And I just want to invite you in just before I draw things to a close to uh, to share your contact details, whatever they may be. Yes, once again, my, um, my contact telephone number is 07531 538302. I've got two email addresses, the first being pete at first-team.net and pete at petelow.com. Super. And as the referee puts his metaphoric whistle in his mouth, listeners, to say, OK, this game's coming towards an end now. All that remains for me to say, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond?